Good afternoon, Wednesday afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Hello, Greg. Hey, Brett. Good to be with you again, my man. It is indeed, sir. Two days back in the saddle. <laughs> Two days running. Some sort of record here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we were apart for a number of weeks while I was on holidays and Greg was on holidays. So, yeah. It's back to back to normal now. Yeah, it really is. Hey, uh, we want to ask the question uh, later on this afternoon. Where were you 20 years ago tomorrow when the news broke that Princess Diana had been killed? Uh, I have a really good story, but I can't share it on the air, unfortunately. It's one of those stories. and uh, But I have a feeling that many of you will remember exactly where you were. One of those watershed moments and uh, the princess... Uh, not princesses, but the princes, William and Harry, um, made a made a visit today. And uh, there'll be video of that on Global News tonight. And we are going to London later on to find out a little bit about the people's princess. Indeed. And right now, uh, or, and actually, we'll tell you about what's coming up at 1.30 before we introduce our guest right now. Poutine Trail is an event that's happening this week. It actually starts tomorrow. It's Manitoba's southeastern bilingual communities serving poutines that are as tasty as they are original. So there's a whole bunch of communities involved, like St. Pierre-Jolie, for example. That's one of them that that jumps off the top of my head. So we're going to speak with the organizer of that, Roselle Turenne. She's going to join us in studio at 1.30. Of course, the story uh, really continues to be on this continent, uh, now 19 uh, dead, as uh, Hurricane Harvey continues his uh, rampage now into Louisiana and other parts of the United States. But uh, while the amount of water that has fallen on the city of Houston is simply overwhelming. And of course, as soon as you get out and you're safe and you have maybe a little bit of shelter, you start thinking about recovery and what's next. You also probably think about, boy, oh boy, what kind of insurance have I got? Who's going to make me whole, quote unquote? Uh, Probably no one going to make you whole from something like this but um this whole disaster got me thinking i think there's been some dramatic changes in terms of overland flooding insurance in canada we reached out yesterday to the insurance brokers association of manitoba and darren peters their president joins us now darren thanks for taking some time with us Hey, thank you guys for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, maybe before we get into what's changed in Canada, uh, when you see what's going on in Houston, uh, as uh, someone who does what you do, what goes through your mind uh, first and foremost? Well, as an insurance broker, I think we we think about all those people that right now are displaced and uh, the anxiety that those people are feeling and uh, you know, our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to those people. It's going to be a long time before their uh, their lives get back to normal. Now, in the United States, they have something called FEMA mm-hmm. that uh, interacts with uh, with uh, victims of these sorts of situations. The uh, Emergency Response, Federal Emergency Measures Association, or uh, I think that's the A. Uh, you know, they're there. They're on the ground. Now, what's the equivalent here in Canada? Well, I would say that you you have a number of organizations, but uh, there's the, the disaster uh, recovery um, that happens, like say, for example, when um, you know the floods here hit, and especially in uh, Selkirk, right? Emergency measures comes in, and they do some assistance, which would probably be the uh, the most uh, similar uh, organization here in Manitoba, as an example. 
Um, the Red Cross is also a uh, another organization that comes in in severe cases of flooding, and uh, they would be people that we could count on as well if it was a more of a natural or a national uh, catastrophe such as in Texas. And FEMA, by the way, uh, just to set the record straight, Federal Emergency Management Agency, Brett. As far as uh, home insurance policies go, Darren, what are they? What does a typical home insurance policy cover as far as uh, damage from weather is concerned? Well, damage from weather. I mean, the the situation in Texas is something that I think um, when Tara was on your radio show earlier in the year, um, she kind of uh, gave you guys a little bit of an update in Canada. Insurers have really come to the table and provided some really valid uh, overland flooding options for clients. Now, um, I would say that 80% of clients um, are eligible for uh, the overland flooding. Um, but, you know, there will be some folks that won't qualify for the, uh, for the flood, uh, overland flooding uh, coverages. Or sometimes the premiums can be, you know, really high and make it very difficult for people to afford the overland flooding. So there has been some significant updates over the last couple of years from the insurers in Canada. What would first of all, let's start uh, with the twenty percent. What would make you ineligible to hold or purchase a policy? Well, as an example, if if you if you have a home that is in a uh, flood prone area that has had uh, reoccurring issues, and you know potentially you didn't um, carry out some of the mitigation measures, you know, as an example, you didn't build, you know, after the flood, you didn't raise your house or you didn't put a dike around your house and things like that. Um, that would definitely be something that the underwriters would uh, would take into consideration when offering the flood or overland flooding coverage. And so who steps in at that point? Uh, is there a federal program that, that backs up private insurance now that that's an option in Canada? Yeah, and I mean, that's where the disaster recovery assistance would come in from the provincial and federal government. But, um, you know, like I think Tara had discussed with you guys, it's, you know, it's cross, you know, it's, um, it's jurisdictional issues that come into play. And so there's oftentimes delays and there's lots of paperwork and things that need to happen, right? So for a claimant, it, uh, it does take a lot of time uh, to go through that process. Now, you mentioned that there are certain people who will not be eligible for uh, flood coverage based on uh, if they didn't take into you know, take any steps after a previous situation. But what happens if if I, I don't know, I'm a first time home buyer and I buy a home that's in flood prone, uh, flood prone area, but I'm I'm not aware of that in the beginning. Maybe call it right. naivete, call it whatever. Right. Uh, how is that my fault? Is is it really a buyer beware situation all the way through? Well, I definitely don't think it's the new home buyer's fault, right? Um, you know, I think in in these cases, it's nobody's fault. I think one of the big things is just education, right? And getting the consumers educated on, you know, the areas of the province that are flood prone um, and, you know, being aware of some of the the, the government agencies that will assist in the event of a natural disaster like a flood, and also, you know, visiting your broker and getting advice from the broker as far as what is available from the insurance company standpoint. So now that overland flooding insurance is available through uh, private insurance, how many people are coming to you, or is it a lot of uh, your brokers and your members kind of uh, tapping uh, policyholders on the shoulder and saying, hey, uh, you might want to consider this because things have changed? 
Yeah, well, I think that the communication from the brokers is definitely something where we want to be proactive with our consumers, right? We want to provide them with the options that are available to them. Um, if it's something that we can uh, sell to them from uh, from an insurance uh, company here in Canada, that is definitely uh, something that the brokers are very proactive with. Um, one of the things that the association is working really, uh, really diligently on with the federal government, the provincial government, and also the municipalities um, is trying to make sure that the consumer um, has the um, material and information available to them on what is available if, say, for example, they don't qualify for overland flooding insurance through uh, private insurance companies. This is, and, and the answer is probably no, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. If there is a, a, a particularly paranoid homeowner out there who decides they want coverage for absolutely everything, you know, if a fire-breathing unicorn happens to descend <laughs> upon my home and set it on fire, yeah. is there an, an all-encompassing act of God insurance policy that will cover you if you want to pay for it? Yeah, I would suggest uh, not, uh, not readily available, I don't think. I mean, you know, the standard the standard coverages that are out there are wind, hail, uh, tornado, um, you know, but in, you know, certain areas of, of the world, like in Texas right now, hurricane coverage is, you know, something that is extremely complex, very, um, very expensive in those places because it's something that happens, you know, at times, almost on an annual basis. So the all-encompassing, covered-for-everything type of policy, very difficult. Um, and it is, you know, it's elusive. It's not out there. So, Darren, and uh, just by the way, if you're tuning in uh, just now, President of the Insurance Brokers Association of Manitoba is Darren Peters. He's also our guest on Mackling and McGarry. Uh, Darren, for, so for those, you know, I saw a press conference today, uh, the head of FEMA down in Houston talking about the responsibilities and what's available if you're a victim of this flood. And one thing that he mentioned at least twice and reiterated was the fact that we're not here to make you whole. And that's kind of a, an insurance terminology that's worked into the overall vernacular. But for those that aren't familiar with that terminology, what does that mean? And, and how do we make sure that we can be made whole uh, as much as possible in, in terms of a flooding situation? Uh, I'm thinking of Winnipeg. If For whatever reason, the, the floodway, we got a flood so big that the floodway uh, just wasn't uh, large enough, didn't have enough capacity to to uh, contain the the Red River and uh, inside the the floodway, all of a sudden we're dealing with massive amounts of damage. Yeah, well, I mean, you as a homeowner, if you're if you're located within the city of Winnipeg, you know, one of the things is that you can likely purchase overland flooding for your dwelling. And you know, I think the one difference that I will say when the FEMA director is on the news saying that that they will not be able to bring you or or make you whole. Um, what he is saying is likely that there's going to be a limitation, right, to what FEMA is going to be paying out to each individual homeowner, as an example. And your policy, your insurance policy, if you purchase an insurance policy from a private insurer um, in Manitoba, you will also have certain limitations that will uh, likely apply to you. Say, for example, if you have a home that's worth $200,000 and you purchase overland flooding, likely your limit will be tied to the value of your home or your contents that are in your home. A lot of people will be wondering, you know, well, you know, I can't work and uh, and so I need a place to stay in the meantime. You know, uh, I think we have this perception that these insurance policies are all encompassing and, and take care of everything that's affected uh, when we're in the middle of a disaster like this. 
Yeah, and I mean, it is a really, really stressful time for for a claimant and for those people in Texas right now because many of those people, their offices aren't open. If they're business owners, they're not going to be open for business. They're going to be dealing with other things. Uh, their lives are way more important than, you know, business and, and that sort of thing. So the loss of income and those types of ancillary costs are not covered by your policy. There is, however, under most home insurance policies, there's a thing called additional living expenses. And again, it's a derivative of the value of your home. And those additional living expenses are something that can be used to offset the cost for hotels, food, and things like that. But it's based on the premise that the loss, whatever you have suffered, is due to an insured peril that's covered by your policy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So FEMA will not be picking up those ancillary costs and likely any natural uh, national disaster assistance here in Canada or Manitoba would not pick up those ancillary costs either. You know, things like loss of income and things like that. It is extremely difficult to to uh, I don't I don't think there is an insurance product available that provides that. So this is a great opportunity, if I may say so, on your behalf, Darren, and you can correct me for people to pick up the phone. This is, uh, you know, a great reminder uh, that that you might not have the coverage that you think you have. And this is a, a an opportunity to call a broker and say, hey, can you review my policy? And I need to make sure, you know, I need some peace of mind here that I'm covered for X, Y and Z. You know what? These types of um, you know things in the news are a great reminder for all of us. You know, to go back and make sure that you have peace of mind, and make sure that you know your broker is going through your different options. You know, in, in the city of Winnipeg, you know, uh, God forbid that we ever have one of those kinds of events where um, you know the the um, the city is breached with with floodwaters. But you know, go to your broker because. You know, likely fl- overland flooding is available to you in the city of Winnipeg, and likely in most areas of the city, it's not going to be, um, you know, out of the realm of possibility as far as expense goes. All right. Darren Peters, thank you so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. Thank you, guys. Have a great afternoon. Darren is president of the Insurance Brokers Association of Manitoba. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Do you have overland flooding insurance? Did you realize that maybe you might need it or you might want it? Is this something you think about? And when you see disasters happening in Texas, in Louisiana, in other parts of North America in particular, where people have the same standard of living as we do, does it rekindle or does it uh, urge you to make sure that you have certain insurances and, and things in order? Have you got a getaway, get out of town kit? Like, you know, what, with what happened in Fort McMurray last year? How many people, you know, know where all the your important papers are, your passports, maybe have some cash handy, all those things. I bet you it's very, very few of us that have kind of a tote of things that you need in an emergency. An emergency kit? I definitely don't have one. Yeah, and I hate to admit, I, I don't have uh, have one much of one either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 204-780-6868. Do you have an emergency kit? And if so, what do you put in it? Let us know. All the questions that we've just asked. Flood insurance, overland flooding insurance, emergency kits. Would love to hear your voice at 204-780-6868. You can also text us at that number, and you can email gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com. Your forecast is up next. Did you notice that smoke on the way in? I did notice it, yeah, when I left my apartment. Uh, 
And you mentioned walking in. I really should have walked in today. I took oh, my, you didn't? Took my car. Yeah, I've been lazy. Oh, oh my. Last little while. I got to get back to it. Uh, as far as cars go, Michaela has a traffic tip for us. This was about 10 minutes ago she sent this. Southbound Keniston. Surprise, Keniston. Uh, southbound Keniston backed up to Ness due to the median lane being closed at Tuxedo. Hmm. That sounds fun. It sure does. Hey, we're asking you the question. Do you have a little bit of an emergency kit and or has uh, Hurricane Harvey and all the flooding in Houston had you, have you been re-examining and considering and pondering what type of insurances you have? And if you hadn't been up until our conversation with Darren Peters of the Insurance Brokers Association of Manitoba, uh, did that jolt you into a little bit of reality? I, I always get nervous about making sure we have the right insurance. And uh, we don't have the overland insurance, flooding insurance yet. So I will be making a call next week to make sure that that's up to date. Roger at 204-780-6868. What's the case for you, sir? Uh, you know what? Uh, you guys never mentioned, uh, There's it depends on the area of the province you live in, but you know Winnipeg, you know what we're worse for? Sewer backup. Good point. And I have that. Yeah, and you know what? And you can only add that uh, at renewal time. I don't think you can do that, say, like in the middle right, of, of a right. yearly policy. So you have to re-examine that every year, and then I think it's $5,000 increments or something, Roger? Yeah, $5,000. I'd, I'd be more having that more than overland because the chances of overland here are the, the, what we have here is more sewer backup. You know, every year when we have a really freakishly bad storm, people's certain areas there are backed up as far as sewer. Yeah, for uh, sure. And, but not so much Orland. Yeah, you know what? Great point and uh, something for all of us to consider. Uh, One more thing. Make sure, uh, yeah. As far as this thing, that help, uh, perspective, I won't complain about our cold winters. Mm. I won't complain about my potholes. And I won't complain about mosquitoes. I'm glad where I live. Roger, thank you for that. Appreciate right. that. That's a that was a topic of conversation where I was last night. This whole idea of being thankful for where we live. And before we break here for global news and weather at the bottom of the hour, yes, here's a text at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. I do have copies of passports and driver's license, some extra prescription medication, first aid kit, and a blanket. Also, some cash, very little. So good for you. I think more of us need to uh, get on that train. Um. <laughs> as far as I'm, I'm concerned, if I have to leave in an emergency, the only bag I'm reading, reaching for is my bag of golf clubs. <laughs> I'm looking for pictures. I'm looking for the computer with all the pictures on it, insurance and stuff. There's Brett. I'm good. I got my golf clubs. I got my babies. Global News is up next. 1.34 on this Wednesday afternoon. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry together again after a few weeks uh, apart. And Brett, I know uh, you and I both did versions of staycations here in the province of Manitoba. So many incredible things to do and see, attractions that maybe you wouldn't otherwise think of. And we had zero problem filling our days, filling our time. So many things to do. And in a province where probably 85% of the tourism dollars are not from North Dakota or Minnesota, Saskatchewan or Northwest Ontario, they're Manitoban spending Manitoba you know, earned income in other parts of the province. I think it's critical that we have a conversation like the one that we're going to have in just a moment here. There is an event happening starting tomorrow, in fact. It is called Poutine Trail Manitoba. And I'll just read the, the, a couple of lines from the website, poutinetrail.com. Manitoba's southeastern bilingual communities serve poutines that are as tasty as they are original. Try them out along the Poutine Trail and discover the French flavor of the region. We are joined 
in studio by Roselle Turen, who is tourism consultant with CDEM, that's the Economic Development Council for Bilingual Municipalities. Their tourism sector is called Joie de Vivre Manitoba. Roselle, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we're going to speak to you first, and then we're going to bring on somebody on the phone whose name is Brian Sklarchuk. He's from St. Boniface, and he's organized a bike group to follow the Poutine Trail, so we'll talk to him in a minute. But before we talk to him, what exactly is the Poutine Trail? <laughs> the Poutine Trail, more than anything, was a concept we came up with. Uh, actually, there's another trail you might not have heard of called the Cinnamon Bun Trail that exists in Manitoba. Oh, You're talking uh, about 85% no. of tourism. <laughs> <laughs> so it was inspired by that. And actually, uh, one of our, our local um, uh entrepreneurs who who had talked about poutine being, you know, oh, we should try to track their Quebecois and wouldn't be a little tongue-in-cheek to say we have better poutine than the Quebecois do and this and that. And so that kind of inspired or triggered the idea. So what it is is uh, eight different um, towns and restaurants in those towns that have gone together and uh, come up with their own signature poutine. And so we thought, what a great way to link our bilingual municipalities and have them have this one thing that is typically a French dish. We know it's a Quebec dish, but, you know, it's uh, certainly people think French-Canadian when they think of it. And it's something that they can pretty easily incorporate into their menus and what a better idea to get Winnipeggers out into these communities than through food. I am looking at the cinnamon bun trail right now. <laughs> and uh, my word, and uh, uh, one, a couple of the places that I expected to be on there is are on there, I should say. Uh, I'm also getting very hungry. May I suggest for next time a French onion soup? trail oh, because perhaps. that's one of my one of my favorites but poutine is obviously something that is as popular now as it's ever been right i mean uh, you've got national chains who are uh, adding poutine to their uh, menu and then there are national chains that that's all they do so this this is brilliant well it's it's bang on and that's what we've done it's not a gut feeling this has been researched and we we really looked at what is hot right now and what trends is uh poutine is certainly a very very strong one uh we wanted to get on that bandwagon wagon for sure. But people want local. They also want culinary circuits. These are things that we've studied and we know work. And so this is something we thought this is this can work for our communities. And first and foremost, that's what we want. We want this to impact the economic development of our communities through something as simple as adding a signature dish, branding it, and getting it together for uh, for these different municipalities. No, it does start tomorrow, yeah? Uh, officially, it starts. It's been, we can call it maybe a soft launch. And okay. some of these uh, restaurants have actually had the opportunity to try the one in Richer, which was wonderful. Um, which one is that now? The one in Richer is called the Botine, and it's uh, it's 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 very good. It's uh, kind of like a, a breakfast-style poutine. Uh, it's got bacon and, and hamburger on it. Mushrooms, and mushrooms. cheese curds. Yeah, it's just Mother Beautiful. with home salad gravy. That seems to be a common theme, the yeah. gravy. So it's is this mandatory. just something that's going to, to always exist, or is this like a, just an event for this week? That's a great question. So it is an ongoing project. Uh, it's launching this week. Uh, we know that poutine is probably more desirable in uh, winter months than it is when it's 30 degrees out. <laughs> and the idea is to really carry this on until next spring where we'll reevaluate, see what impact it had on the communities, and hopefully expand into our other uh, francophone municipalities or bilingual municipalities. We have 17 of them total, so it would be great to have them all on board. So now as much as uh, we love poutine and everything that it does for our palate, it also seems to find its way to other parts of our body, uh, our stomachs in particular. <laughs> So there's a way, but there's a way to manage that, right, okay. Brett? 
See, and segueing to uh, Brian, who's hanging good. on the line. Oh, yeah. He's the master of segues. See, see. There's always a method to the madness. <laughs> There's lots of madness. I'm impressed. Brian Sklarchuk is his name. Am I saying your name correctly, Brian? You are. Excellent. Uh, I was a, a first guest, so I think I got it. Brian Sklarchuk is in. He's uh, from St. Boniface, and I understand, Brian, that you have organized a bike group to follow this poutine trail. When is this... Uh, group going to head out onto the road? Well, we're uh, planning on leaving St. Boniface uh, at about 8 a.m. on Saturday, uh, leaving at uh, Cafe Postal, which is a little uh, coffee shop. Um, and we're going to be uh, marshalling in the Grand Point area. And then we have a GPS map that we're going to be sharing hopefully later today. We're just finishing it up. We want to make sure we're on all the roads we need to be. And then we're ready to go. Um, it's going to be interesting. Are you taking uh, like are you are you going to take any major highways or is it mostly a gravel road excursion? The whole idea with it is to get off the major roads. You know, uh, I guess a big part, a big new part in the sport of cycling. Uh, you know, biking's been around forever, but is getting off the main drag, so to speak. And we know that there's been uh, obviously some, you know, some issues on some major roads. We want to get pe- pe- try to keep people safe. So we thought, why not discovery as many little gravel roads, small communities, etc throughout southeastern Manitoba on the Poutine Trail. And we thought, well, we're going to do it, and we're going to make it tougher because highways are easy to ride on, so this way you can burn off more calories riding on the gravel. Well, you know, Brian, uh, for as efficient, and we were talking about this yesterday, as the American interstate highway system is, there's no better way to drive to Arizona than Route 66, right, and to do the back roads because that's how you see America. And we have some major highways in Manitoba, and just because you drive Highway 75 or 59 doesn't mean you see southeastern Manitoba. Absolutely, and and really the idea for the gravel tour, I think, was inspired by two things. One, this whole concept of bikepacking, which is, take all your gear and you go and explore and be uh, a lot of the trips I've done recently where I've been in Quebec and uh, in the Rocky mountains and riding a lot of gravel and back roads and realizing that I can spend my money in Manitoba, have a staycation, as you said earlier, and get to eat a lot um, with some help, of course, and really get to do something neat. And when I heard about Joie de Vivre and Sedem putting this on, I kind of said, well, let's do a bike event. Well, listen, I mean, how many people do you have involved so far? That's a great number. Um, I know that we have support people eating with us all along the way because there's no way I can eat 11 poutines in two days. Oh, come on, Brian. You can do it. Well, uh, eating helps. So at first I started with my friends that want to help me eat. And then we started spreading the word in the cycling community. And to be honest, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. We could have five. We could have 50. Um, Every kind of uh, point of reference for the Manitoba cycling community, we put the word out and uh, I have no idea. Well, That's part of the fun. Now you've put it out to uh, at least uh, six other people who are listening right now. So, <laughs> Well, and, the, you know, we are riding around 300 kilometers over two days, but we're also saying to folks that if you want to meet us in Lorette and ride to St. Anne, which is about 30 kilometers, come along. If you want to meet us in St. Pierre and just tootle around and make, you know, pretend that you rode for five hours so you don't feel as guilty eating a, some Putin, do that as well. We're going to work, we're working with Joie de Vivre and Sedem. And they're just going to be updating their Facebook feed, I assume, and uh, where we are. And we'll also have a GPS map that will be available later today, so you can follow the route on your, on your own as well. 
So, Roselle, what's, what was your reaction when you heard that, that Brian had organized this cycling I, tour? I love it. I'm actually quite an avid cyclist. Last year, I, I actually I rode from Kansas City to Winnipeg with Cycle of Hope. So I put 3,000 kilometers on my bike last year. Um, and, and a lot of that was staying in small communities. And that was actually part of the inspiration for this, too. You know, getting people moving through these communities. Um, you know, if you go there, you're going to spend a bit of cash. You might pick up a Gatorade or you might be, you know, oh, I didn't know the, this farmer's market was going on or check out this cute little shop or, hey, there's this great golf course or around the brokery. I think there's six or seven golf courses. One of them does foot golf. Have you heard about this? So where you use a soccer ball. How wonderful is that? So it, our, our idea here is poutine, yes, restaurants, yes, but it's really as you mentioned, going through these communities and discovering other things that exist uh, that you may not have know, known about before. A lot of these communities end up being bedroom communities for Winnipeggers. And how does that start? How do you div- how do you find out, hey, this is where I want to live? Well, it's, it's with a visit. And if this poutine is the one thing that inspires somebody to go and visit this place, well, all the better. I, I absolutely love the, the cycle part of it. Uh, I don't know that I can eat six put- or eight poutines in cycle, <laughs> you know, uh, but but it's certainly great at the end of a cycling day. Yeah, it'd be fun to find out. Hey, Ryan, this is genuine discovery, right? This is a, a way to uh, not only to try a little bit of different food and to have some com- camaraderie on the highways, but, but also to discover uh, parts of our province that you might not otherwise see. Absolutely. You know, we have an abundance. We have great food. We have great terrain. Our wind in Manitoba is as good as the Rocky Mountains, and I can attest to that. <laughs> and we have great little communities, and why not combine all of them together and get people out and discovering what we have here. You know, our, uh, our, our vacations are short. Everyone wants to feel like they've had a break from everything else, so come on out. And, you know, if anyone wants to even come and eat with us, we need help. I need, I need, at a minimum, I need some help to eat. Okay, well, hey, <laughs> you guys have a Facebook group or set up for this, right? Yeah, uh, Bikepacking Manitoba uh, is uh, one of the places, and we're working with Sedem, so everything will be on the Sedem uh, Facebook page as well. So I would just send people right to there. Go to uh, Sedem uh, Facebook and uh, follow us along. All right. Well, hey, Brian Sklarchuk, thanks so much for joining us. We'll let you go now. Uh, We'll continue our chat with Roselle Turen in a moment. We're talking about the Poutine Trail, which begins this week. Manitoba Southeastern bilingual community serving a whole bunch of tasty poutines. The website is poutinetrail.com. Our in-studio guest is Roselle Turen, who is with SEDEM. That's the Economic Development Council for Bilingual Municipalities. We'll continue to talk about the Poutine Trail after your forecast. Up next. He's Brett. I am Greg, and we're talking about the Putin Trail. Roselle Turin is with us, tourism consultant with CDEM, SIDEM, uh, which stands for the Economic Development Council for Bilingual Municipalities. Their tourism sector is called Joie de Vivre, uh, Manitoba. And, uh, you know, when you first got here, Roselle, we were talking, I was relating to you this whole idea of, you know, people go for a drive or a ride on their bike. People are always looking for a destination, which is why I think this is a great idea. And, and I pointed to two businesses that I won't specifically mention. One is right near Birds Hill Park and the other one is Lockport, right? One, you can go for a hot dog. The other, you can go for a very nice lunch or buy some furniture. And if you know those places, you'll know exactly where I'm talking about. But those places are a drive. They are a destination, but they are always busy because of, of a certain way that they do things. 
Well, and, and that's great, you know, and that's what we want to create here is an opportunity for these businesses and for these towns to 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 look to Winnipeggers. You know, we've got 750,000 people that are at their doorstep that are just within half an hour, an hour, two hours away. And that, you know, in terms of tourism, we have to look to Manitobans as our main tourist. You mentioned it in the opening. We have 85% of our tourism dollars are spent right here, Manitobans, Manitobans in Manitoba exploring. So if we can create these destinations and help these municipalities, help these these towns or help a restaurant uh, kind of, you know, bolster themselves and say, yeah, you know, come and see us. We have this. Uh, we'd be happy to have you here. Then, then that's great. If we, we become that next destination, uh, if word gets out, then that's great. And I think word is getting out. Uh, I think the poutine trail, I, I don't know if we'd call it going viral, but it's certainly had a lot of traction on Facebook. And uh, that's wonderful. And that's what we want. We want people talking about these towns and these restaurants and you know, the other thing that's come out of it is we're, we're sensing a big sense of pride where people go, hey, that's the town I grew up in, or hey, so-and-so, this is it isn't right. this where you're from. And we love it. I'm just loving to see this discussion in this. Uh, and it's it, what's really nice is it's a collaborative thing. Uh, they're championing each other. Um, I think a lot of rural towns are known for having this rivalry. And the reality is the tourist doesn't care about the 100-year-old rivalry between the two <laughs> neighboring towns and their hockey and, and right. whatever. And, you know, I have one parent that came from St. Malo and another from St. Pierre, where this was like a typical kind of hockey towns. And, 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 you know, in terms of tourism, you have to put that aside and go, let's work together. Let's link these things. Let's create an opportunity for people to, to visit this cluster of things rather than just thing. And uh, the Poutine Trail does that. You know, and I can testify on our staycation. Uh, Brett, a place that you and I both hold near and dear to our hearts, Salties, up in Winnipeg Beach, inspired me to take my boys up to Winnipeg Beach, a place that they'd never been before. Well, we ended up using the laundromat. We went to Playland. We had to buy some stuff here and there. So as opposed to just going for an amazing lunch and some, you know, some reminiscing and, and showing the boys around, it became a genuine economic activity for us. Yeah, I mean, well, at Winnipeg Beach too. That's it's almost a one-stop, really all sort of day event. I think there's an ice cream place on the boardwalk too. Oh yeah, or on the I can't remember at what least it's one. <laughs> is, it the, is it the Dairy Bee? That Dairy Bee sounds right. Yeah, I think that might be it. But uh, no, that's uh, Salties. Yum. I have not been there for a few years. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you brought up the rivalry because I know uh, we have someone here from here who works or who's from Altona. One of our, our morning news anchor, Jeff Braun, proudly from Altona, and he's always talking about the rivalry between Mord and Winkler and Altona, and it doesn't sound like it's the friendliest of rivalries. So is is that uh, rivalry aspect within the, the southeastern Franco-Manitoban community, is it friendly at the very least? <laughs> so I mean I I grew up in the city my my uh, my parents are, are from the country and I think those rivalries will always exist I mean they they exist between neighboring high schools why wouldn't they exist between neighboring towns right and, and uh, wherever you are so I, I think they're pretty friendly but I think uh, what what we really want to convey is that idea that working collaboratively in, in in terms of tourism is really important we call it clustering you want to really have a pack of things for people to do enough stuff there's actually something called the four times rule. You generally want to give people enough stuff to do 
That's, that'll take him four times the amount of time it took him to get there. So, for example, you went out, you spent a day with your kids. Well, it took you an hour to get there. Did you have four hours worth of stuff to do in yeah, that area? Did. Yeah, we so, did. So it's not, I mean, it's not a golden rule, but it's certainly kind of a, a baseline. And some of our communities might not have enough. But if you, you get them together and you go, oh, there's a little to do here. And, oh, we'll just go up the road another 10 minutes and there's something to do there. And, oh, there's this little museum. Let's go and check it out. Um, then you start to create an impact. That's critical mass, right? It is. And it's, uh, that's what we want to do. It's called capacity building. It's, it's certainly something we, we want to, it's our mandate is to increase economic development in these communities. And as I said, if it's as simple as putting a logo on something and getting this sorted and helping people discover, then, then we've done our job. The website is poutinetrail.com, and that's where you will go to find the different kinds of poutine. And uh, before I actually ask you about the, the poutines, how many Franco Manitobans are there in this province, by the way? Do you know any idea? Oh, that's a great question. Lots and lots and lots. <laughs> lots and lots and lots. And uh, what, what's really nice is that this isn't just for the Francophones. I think it's great that, you know, Francophones will go and, and, and go, oh, that's the town my grandparents grew up in. But I, I think more importantly, it's getting Anglophones to come and discover our bilingual municipalities. That's what we want. We want people, we want everyone, uh, all languages, all cultures to go and discover uh you know, I, I didn't hear about perimeter-itis before I started creating this poutine trail. And as I talked to all these restaurant operators, uh, it was really interesting because that term came up a lot. Oh, people won't want to leave the perimeter. And I, I disagree. I think people, if they have an opportunity, oh, they they're have looking a for an excuse. They're looking I, for an excuse. Absolutely. Yep, yep. I can tell you 100%. People living inside the city are always looking for an excuse to go for the good old drive and, and a reason and a little bit of a destination. And if the food is a little bit of a payoff, that's a that's not only a bonus, it's, it's almost mandatory. I agree. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I, I'm an avid golfer and one of my favorite golf courses in Maplewood, uh, just outside St. Pierre Jolie, formerly known as Rat River, in case you have never heard of Maplewood, but maybe you've heard of that. So I don't mind making the drive when it's uh, to a nice place. And especially for this, you got eight delicious poutines. And uh, the fact that it's not just a week event, but it's going to be something that you can enjoy right through till next spring. I think it's, uh, I'll definitely have to take a trip on the Poutine Trail at some point. <laughs> I hope to see you there. <laughs> PoutineTrail.com is the website. Our guest has been Roselle Turen. She is tourism consultant with SEDEM. That's the Economic Development Council for Bilingual Municipalities. And we also spoke with Brian Sklarchuk, who is from St. Boniface and is organizing a, a cycling group to head down to the Poutine Trail this weekend. Global News at 2 o'clock is coming up next. 2.05 Wednesday afternoon, heading into the Labor Day long weekend. And, of course, that means Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Regina. If we get a chance a little bit later on, we'll talk uh, talk about uh, visiting Regina on Labor Day. It's a ton of fun, and uh, that will be the focus of uh, the Blue Bomber podca- podcast with uh, Doug Brown. Uh, we'll be working on that today. We'll get it out to you uh, as soon as we can, probably tomorrow morning. want to thank everybody who's tuned in and downloaded, shared, subscribed to the Blue Bomber podcast. Uh, we're thrilled with the numbers. Uh, we'd like to have more of you enjoy it, share it, subscribe, and uh, let your friends know all about the Blue Bomber Bomber podcast. Uh, Doug Brown doesn't mince his words on the air. Uh, we, he seems to have found another gear, Brett, on the podcast, even 
more. There's another layer of honesty with Doug Brown really? on the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, very entertaining. Well, that's fascinating. So make sure that you subscribe to that. You can get that on iTunes and I believe Google Play as well. You know Absolutely. What it- you betcha. And you go to cgob.com and you can uh, listen to it that way. And uh, you've got a pretty good podcast of your own, my friend. The Couch Potatoes. That's right. Uh, we are also on iTunes, Google Play. Jeff, Ron, and I. The show airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock and Sundays at 4, but you can also just get the podcast if you can't tune in to listen to it on the radio. Yeah, because it's only on, what, twice a week? That's right. Yeah. For one hour, so. Not bad at all. Good work, my friend. Yes. Hey, you too. Look at us. <laughs> hey, now, uh, 20 years ago tomorrow is the anniversary of the passing, uh, the tragic death of Princess Diana. And I confess, I am not much of a royal watcher. I did get up at four or five o'clock in the morning with my Grammy once upon a time to watch Princess Diana and, and Prince Charles get married. But I, I didn't really have that much of an affection for the royal family. But that kind of changed for me when Princess Diana passed away and when she was uh, killed in that tragic motor motor vehicle accident in Paris. And um, 20 years, it's hard to imagine that it's been that long, especially when, for myself, I know exactly where I was when I got the news. And uh, one of those landmark times, I think most of us that are of a certain age, Brett, know exactly where we were when we we heard the uh, news. I'm actually uh, ashamed to admit that I don't remember, uh, but we got a text message from Eve who says that he was actually at a bar called Euphoria at the Windsor Park Inn with his future wife. And there's actually a real, very good chance that that's where I was uh, because the, it, the, the incident happened, her death happened uh, early Sunday morning over in Europe, right. which means it would have been Saturday evening for us. Right, very, so, quite late actually. So I would have been at the bar likely i'm just guessing and that's also i'm also guessing that's probably why i didn't know because it was 1997 only a couple of us had cell phones and no one was texting yet and we didn't have internet on our phones so the news would not have spread as quickly as had it happened today for sure. Well, we wanted to relive uh and, and find out what's going on in Great Britain today as um Prince William and Prince Harry Marked uh, the anniversary today, in fact, and uh, we're visiting with European correspondent for Global Television. He is in London. Redmond Shannon is his name. And we want to know, Redmond, where where were you? I was in Seattle, actually, um, for uh, visiting friends and uh, remember distinctly being told by a friend uh, what had happened. And I just didn't believe her. And she said, OK, well, I'll let you stew. Uh, for not believing me, and then not realizing it was true until the next morning. I just assumed it was a joke, and I think a lot of people did too. It's one of those moments that you go, well, that that doesn't happen, and then it did happen, and it caught so many people off guard, and it was uh, one of those moments that uh, everybody and anybody um, will always remember where they were for whatever reason. She, Diana, was one of those people who had that effect and was that sort of iconic um uh, person um, that uh, was known just around the world. Why was she known as the People's Princess? Well, she was known as the People's Princess only after she died, in actual fact. It was Tony Blair, who was uh, was only recently elected as Prime Minister, uh, um, designated as Prime Minister in August 1997. He coined that term the morning of her death uh, when he addressed uh, the media outside his home. 
and uh, he came up with it um, as a way of perhaps articulating how she connected with people in a way that perhaps many members of the royal family didn't or hadn't connected with people beforehand, that there was a certain sense of remove between the royal family and uh, the general public in Britain. And uh, obviously, given the outpouring of grief that we saw after her death, she did have a certain connection and people felt they knew her even if they'd never met her. So, yes, she was the people's princess and that's how she's known now by so many. But only uh, a term, it was only coined, sadly, after uh, she died. And for someone that was an outsider coming in and certainly an outsider after her divorce from Prince Charles, uh, she may be solely responsible for the monarchy surviving in the fashion it does to this day. I suppose you could argue that, certainly, and you could argue it because of her two sons, really, um, because her t- two sons um, who... Uh, of course, Prince William, heir to the throne um, after his father, um, was, is seen as the future of the monarchy. His father, perhaps from that older generation, and will um, one day perhaps uh, become king. But William and Harry are sort of that new generation, and, um, and in a similar way to their mother, uh, seem to connect with people very well and uh, work on charities um, that were close to their mother as well, like uh, homelessness and young people, HIV AIDS, charities that uh, perhaps didn't get a look in in certain respects back um, in the 80s and 90s, but their mother, uh, Princess Diana, did work on. And when they worked with people in those charitable organizations and when they met people, uh, when the two princes now meet people involved in charities, they do seem to make that connection too. And when you see them in the rare occasions that they are interviewed on TV, and there was a feature uh, documentary this week uh, from the BBC about Diana and to, uh, to interviews with Princes Harry and, and Prince William, uh, Prince Harry and Prince William, they, they, they just seem very much like regular guys. They are not regular guys, but cause, because of obviously who they are and, and the, the, their duties and obligations, but they do seem like very normal people. And certainly that is something that in 2017, the royal family can be thankful for um, as it looks to the future. Can you tell us a little bit about the event that uh, has taken place at the Sunken Garden? Yeah, so, well, today is, is, the, is the eve of the 20th anniversary, tomorrow being the, the actual anniversary of, of Princess Diana's death. And today is, is really the, the, the main event, and it's a very low-key event. I don't think uh, there's anything major being planned other than this, and because I don't think the princes seem to, would, don't seem to want anything more than this. And so this event today was a at least temporary um, commemoration of uh, and celebration of Diana's life uh, in the garden in Kensington Palace, where gardeners who knew Diana um, over the years have worked for months, I believe, to um, plant flowers and do special exhibits in, in tribute to her life. And that unveiling today, as the princes went to see it with the Duchess of Cambridge, uh, was also uh, open to members of the charities uh, that I've mentioned that Diana worked on. So the princes and Prince and the Duchess today met with people from those charities. So it was, again, about um, that sense of uh, charitable giving and charitable work that it was focused on. But uh, 
Um, it was a quite a low-key event, not open to the public. It was filmed, um, and you can see, you'll probably see it on TV tonight, and you'll see a bit on, on global news tonight. But uh, the only public uh, aspect to it was just afterwards, the two princes came around to the front of Kensington Palace where uh, a bevy of media was uh, lined up along with um, perhaps a couple of hundred people um, to come and see them. And the princes took a look at the gates of Kensington Palace, where there are some floral tributes and some posters, nothing at all like there were 20 years ago, when you'll remember that iconic image of that sea of flowers in front of Kensington Palace. But still some tributes there, and they came out to look. They, did, they didn't hang around too long, um, uh, they didn't make a big deal out of it, but they did come to take a look um, at the tributes that people had um, put down there uh, for, the, for their mom. Now, of course, being born into the monarchy has been a, a blessing and, and something that, uh, you know, the, the princes owe their, their way of life to. But on the flip side, when you're celebrating or when you're recognizing or observing an anniversary like this, I just... Four days ago uh, marked the 15-year anniversary of my mom's passing. And so myself and my siblings got together and, and you know, and told stories. And, uh, it, 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 you know, those five-year markers seem to really bring us together. But Harry and William have to have to do this in public to a certain extent. So that that's the downside or the flip side of being a part of the monarchy. Exactly. And it's something that occurred to me when I was there today. I mean, they're doing something that's very personal, like you have done with your family for your mom. And they're doing, they have to do it in the public eye. They know if they don't give that token public uh, appearance like they did today, well, they'll probably face cameras somewhere else. And so they, there's a sort of recognition of uh, having to fulfill the appetite of public interest and media interest, both uh, media and public interest are intertwined. Which feeds which? Well, that's a debate for another day. But the, they do have to, and it is their life, as you say. They, they're lucky to be born into privilege, but at the same time, it's not all easy sailing. And I'm sure there are days when they wish they could do something privately. To, to, to mourn the death of your mother is one thing. And when they were aged 12 and 15, uh, uh, mourning the death of your mother is hard enough um, and they had to do it uh, in full public gaze 20 years ago. Not an easy thing. So, uh, yeah, you say it, it definitely being a member of the royal family is uh, not uh, all uh, plain sailing. That's that's for sure. Redmond Shannon, Global News, uh, joining us from London. Thank you for this. We appreciate your insight and uh, your commentary and your magnificent Irish accent. <laughs> Thanks very much. Redmond Shannon. Redmond Shannon, sorry to interrupt you there, Redmond. Redmond Shannon is the European Bureau Correspondent with Global National. He's also a broadcast journalist with BBC Radio 5. He's actually uh, an interesting guy, not to get off topic for a second, but he uh, he lived in Canada actually for 12 years. Mm -hmm. He's just recently moved back yeah, I to think Europe. We'll have to have him on just to talk about his life as a journalist. I think it would be an absolutely fascinating discussion. For sure, but in the meantime, we had a discussion about Princess Diana. The anniversary of her death, the 20th anniversary of her death, is tomorrow. And if you have any thoughts that you want to weigh in on at this, 204-780-6868 is the phone number. You can call it or you can text it. You can email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. And when we... Uh, 
continue the chat. We'll also refer to uh, an article here at globalnews.ca. We spoke with Chris Jansellowis yesterday, uh, but we, we will refer you to an article that he wrote uh, that is headlined, Princess Diana's Death Anniversary. Why can't we let her go? Mackley and McGarry, your forecast is up next. Yeah, apparently um, we had the best summer in Canada. Really? Yes. Where did you get that? Environment Canada. Uh, article right on the front page of the Winnipeg Free Press. Nice. Yeah. Well done, Winnipeg. It really has been. Y- y- uh... You've done good. We had nothing to do with it. We just were the benefactors. <laughs> I'm happy to take it, especially when you look at what, uh, what is going on elsewhere in the world. It's yes, been uh, truly a gift to our great community, to southern Manitoba. We have been talking about Princess Diana and the anniversary of her her death. And actually, Greg, before we refer to this article, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you woke up at like four or five in the morning to watch the wedding with your grandma. How old were you? Do you recall that? I think it was like, yeah, seven, I think it was 76, 77, something like that. Okay, well, it's funny that you bring that up because this is the, the church bells ringing as just married Charles and Diana descend the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral. Why do you Cathedral. have access to that? Well, 36 years after... Lady Diana Spencer married Prince Charles. The Associated Press has restored original footage from the wedding and is making it available on YouTube. Interesting. The 25 minutes of footage comes from the archive of British Movie Tone, which AP acquired last year. Author Andrew Morton says the late Princess Diana had romantic hopes on her wedding day. She wanted to have a happy family life. She felt she'd been cheated of that as a child. Her parents had the most acrimonious and sour divorce, and she and uh, she wanted to to have a marriage that was uh, f- fulfilling. She wanted to have a family, um, and she wa- she wanted to live happily ever after. Now here's another clip that is in this footage, Lady Diana saying "I will" to Prince Charles. Wilt thou have this man to thy wedded husband, to live together according to God's law in the holiest state of matrimony? Wilt thou love him, comfort him, honour and keep him in sickness and in health, and forsaking all other, keep thee only unto him, so long as ye both shall live? I will. Now, Diana brought fresh youth and glamour to Britain's royal family. She and Prince Charles separated in 1992 and divorced in 1996. So my timeline in my head was a little off. I, I don't remember spending a lot of time at my Grammy's place. July 29th, 1981, I was like 12. I was a lot older than I, than I remembered it. So uh, anyway, and it was a Wednesday. Who gets married on a Wednesday? Really? Yeah. I guess if you're a prince and a princess. You can do you whatever get, you want. You get married any day of the way you, yeah. yeah. Tuesday, sure. Why not? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, the... Now, the, the reason why, of course, we're talking about this once again, the anniversary of her death is tomorrow, 20th anniversary. And there is a, a, a report from our friend Chris, Chris Jen Selowitz, who is a senior national online reporter for entertainment for Global News. And uh, the headline is Princess Diana's Death Anniversary. Why can't we let her go? And I'll just read a couple of paragraphs here. 20 years after the death of Diana, she is still remembered for her philanthropy, humanitarianism, and charitable work. It's been 20 years since Diana, Princess of Wales, died in a Paris tunnel following a car accident. So why are there still countless TV specials and documentaries, tributes and songs, montages and testaments dedicated to her even now? Simply put, why 
aren't we able to let her go? While Diana wasn't exactly born into poverty, her aristocratic family, the Spencers, definitely had royal blood. She was still viewed as outside the British monarchy. Growing up, her parents divorced and she went to public school and she experienced things many other people her age were experiencing. This was ultimately one of the keys to Diana's appeal. Even if she had been given some of the finer things in life, the public viewed her as one of them. After leaving school, she got a job as a nanny and part-time cook and later became an assistant kindergarten teacher. These are not jobs normally held by royals, not by any stretch. She first met her future husband, Charles, at age 16 while working at the school, and the rest is history. And once again, you can read the rest of Chris Jenselowitz's essay at globalnews.ca, the headline, Princess Diana's Death Anniversary, Why Can't We Let Her Go? Yeah, I adored Princess Diana, and I think for those very reasons, because she was from the outside a little bit, right? And uh, she did some incredible work. Uh, her philanthropy, she brought attention to causes that needed attention uh, shone upon them. And yeah, she. Um, I think she did the best sort of work that you could do in a position that she had. Yeah. You know, she really took advantage of it, and not in a negative fashion. She took advantage and, and uh, allowed her her causes to, to shine through. And I, th- I think that has really been passed down to her children. Uh, they seem like normal people for the most part, as normal as they can be right for yeah. the, for the upbringing and, and the life that they do have. So, you know, uh, I, I'm really kind of jealous of, uh, is it Prince Harry? He's the one that's not married, right? He's uh, dating uh, Meghan Markle from Suits. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What's the name? Meghan Markle. Hang on. uh... M-E-G-H-A-N-M-A-R-K-L-E. Meghan Markle. She she is uh, Mike Ross's love interest. Oh, okay. On uh, the show Suits that I enjoy very much. That's right. Suits, very popular show, which I have not gotten into and probably should, but you can't watch watch everything. No, you'll get lost in it, buddy. Okay. 227 on 680 CJOB Global News is up next. 234 Wednesday afternoon and yesterday about this time we were wrapping up our conversation about the lack of respect on Manitoba highways for the 80 kilometer an hour zone around all our we admit it and we kind of put that as part of the conversation antiquated intersections are at grade crossings uh, on the trans canada highway and south perimeter highway where we need traffic signals as opposed to having uh proper uh interchanges like they have throughout the united states and across the country and uh i'm going to stand by my calculation that we have more stoplights on the Trans-Canada Highway and South Perimeter Highway in Manitoba than they do in British Columbia, Alberta, and Saskatchewan combined. It's a little bit of a disgrace. That's a little embarrassing when you put that into perspective. I never would have thought of that. And I, uh, I, cause I have not, I've actually not made the drive. You've never driven to the West Coast? No. So you need uh, that to do was, that, man. So you paint, that's why I was kind of in awe as you were painting the picture <laughs> and you were naming all the towns, Salmon Arm and, and the Revel Stokes and all the, the various towns that you mentioned in there. Yeah, not only have I driven it, I've done it on the Greyhound enough times to know all the little stops in between as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, part of my history and uh, part of what drew me out to the to the uh, Okanagan Valley once upon a time, all those trips as a kid. And then, of course, lots of times back. But, you know, like I've said, I like when we stand up and, and say and declare ourselves 
in the game and whatever that game might be, we need to be all in. And we've been touting ourselves as this transportation hub for decades now here in Manitoba. I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, it was essentially the the railroad that uh, opened up the West and Winnipeg benefited from the presence of the railroad for an awfully long time. Uh, I think we're battling our relationship with the railways right now in terms of uh, the, the large rail yards, uh, the one in particular we were just talking about in the news, having to construct a new Arlington Street Bridge. You know, that's going to be a $500 million investment when a lot of cities are moving the rail yards outside of the city of Winnipeg. Underpasses, overpasses, uh, not only on the high but within the city, we're spending $150 million on the Waverly underpass right now. So we have a little bit of a double-edged sword relationship with the railways here in this part of the world. And then you throw on to our mantra of being kind of this trucking capital and we don't walk the walk. We talk the talk, but we simply have not invested in the proper infrastructure to move uh, truck traffic through our community in efficient fashion. And... Uh, Never mind passenger cars, you know, it's just, it's just not what it needs to be. Well, then maybe what we'll have to do is there, I'm sure there'll be at least one or two Winnipeggers heading out to Regina this weekend. Yes. Taking the highway out to Regina. Yes. So maybe you can do the count for us. You can do the count and you can also tell us what you think of that incredible bypass project that they're building in Regina right now. Over $2 billion. I think it's 12 interchanges. They already had a fairly decent uh, ring road, although it was uh, kind of more of a crescent than it was a ring. It didn't really go all the way around the city of Regina, but uh, an incredible bypass project where they're spending, a, like I say, over $2 billion uh, to have an efficient transportation right of way. Uh, so you don't have to go through the city or take the ring road. You'll be able to bypass it entirely. And Regina is an example of a city where they've actually moved the rail yards in the not so distant uh, past. I mean, their rail yards, nothing compared to ours, but uh, they were sizable. But they said, no, this is a priority and, and, they, and they've made it happen. So uh, that relationship with the highways dictates that we have these controlled intersections and it's suggested that you slow down to 80 kilometers per hour, and people just don't do it. And we took a lot of text messages yesterday, which we simply did not have time to reply to. I couldn't believe when I came out of the, the news booth at 2.30, the amount of text that had poured in just in the seven or eight minutes that I was out of this room was quite shocking. And that's a good thing. I was shocked in a good way. So thank you very much for all of those feedback, all the feedback. And I think the first one that kicked it off yesterday, and this is one that we read yesterday, and I'll read it again because it surprised the both of us. And it's from Doug. It surprised us because Doug was not alone in suggesting this. Put up cameras at every one of those intersections and tell all the cash grab whiners to shut up. Yeah, you don't get that very often on this radio station. You don't get that very often in general discussion amongst your ourselves in, uh, you know, in our social circles. So to have someone declare, you know, video and or photo radar to be a solution here uh, was something I wasn't expecting. And I generally don't have a problem with with photo radar as a deterrent. It bothers me when they when it's used in a way where, for example, um, I don't know, on a holiday in a school zone. When mm-hmm. we know the kids aren't in school and they set up a photo radar, that's a cash grab. But if you're putting a photo radar up at a at a problematic intersection or on a highway where people are blowing through 
doing 100 to 110 when they were supposed to be slowing down to 80. I have no problem. Put the photo writer up and punish those who are making the mistakes. I still remember. I can't. When I, I think I got, I'm pretty sure I got hit by photo radar uh, just approaching the Redwood Bridge. This was like near the, the beginning of photo radar. Okay. And I remember seeing those things, those lights oh, go on off. Hespler? Yeah. 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 And I remember seeing those lights go off and thinking, oh, I, I'm so stupid. And the, I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. I try not to speed. And every so often you kind of look down at the speed because you're tapping your steering wheel, listening to whatever song you're listening to. And sometimes, yeah, speed gets away from you. But generally I try to behave. And if people are going to be going through these intersections at these high speeds when they shouldn't be, then I have no problem putting up the photo radar. Because those are typically a blatant disregard for the 80 kilometer an hour suggestion, right? Mm -hmm. It's people thumbing their noses at it. It's not people who are trying to slow down and they don't quite make it down to 80, 85 or 90 or something. These are people that go, screw it, man. I'm going straight through and uh, I don't want to miss this light. And they keep it pinned at whatever they're going, whether it's 100, 105, 110. And uh, those are the people, those scoff laws are the ones that we need to, to peg with with uh, tickets because they are general those that's dangerous that's very dangerous driving when you thumb your nose at a suggestion like that so we want the reason why we wanted to continue this conversation today is we sort of ran out of time yesterday we had a guest booked at 2:30 which we ended up pushing back to 2:45 and we sort of wanted to continue on but we didn't want to be rude to our guest who had waited patiently so we want to ring revisit the conversation with you at 204-780-6868 you can send us texts we're still trying to I've, I've managed to get back down to the texts we got yesterday but if you want to send up some new ones Daniel's done that what you does guys, Daniel say? He says, you guys need to talk about and look into the new report on the south perimeter, a street with lights, correct, Daniel, uh, and why they need to do a two-year study. They talked about why they should be like the state's interstate system. Why do you need a two-year study on what to build at all those lights? They got down that stretch, just build the damn thing, so dangerous on that road. That's from Daniel. He also goes on to add a couple of different things. Calgary's so nice to drive in. They did it right. Uh, the Deerfoot can be a little bit of a parking lot at times. Uh, people died on that stretch in Regina. One reason they are doing that $2 billion project. And boy, Daniel's really all over it. There shouldn't be 80-kilometer spots on the perimeter. No lights at high-speed roads. Geez, Manitoba. He's right in the studies. Why does everything need to be studied? They know they need to put interchanges there. They knew that when they built the perimeter highway. Go on the north side of the perimeter, right? They've got interchanges at McPhillips, Main Street, Henderson Highway. They tried to do an inter- uh, interchange at 59, uh, very poorly, mind you. But now they're rectifying that. So on the north side... They've got all the interchanges that you need. You've got an interchange at Furmore at the Trans-Canada Highway. You've got an interchange at 59 on the south end of the perimeter, but they've decided not to do interchanges at St. Anne, St. Mary's Road. Maybe they just, you know, at that time, I don't remember what it was like in the mid-60s. Maybe those were like, uh, you know, very less traveled roads than they are now, but uh, they have to be a priority. 
Yeah, and we were asking yesterday, should there be more enforcement in these intersections? Well, if you had interchanges, there wouldn't really be a need for enforcement. And one of the texts we got yesterday, which I missed, was they should put in interchanges so they can save the police for high crime areas in the city to maybe patrol and prevent some of the more serious things that happen in the city. Not a bad idea, except those uh, typically the perimeter highway in particular uh, is RCMP jurisdiction, right? So uh, I, I'm picking up what you're throwing down. Uh, texter, but yeah, unfortunately, that's not going to save any city uh, police uh, resources. But I, I guess uh, that sort of ties in with what if we did if we we were asking should there be more enforcement? Should should RCMP be set up? Should police be set up at any of these highways? And well, if, they shouldn't have to be. And if there are and interchanges, the then there's there's no need. That's for right. It. Yeah. So we agree on that. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. We'd love to hear your feedback on this, and you can also continue to text us at 204-780-6868. And feel free to email me, brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Just want to quickly mention as well, we referenced earlier the, the trip from Winnipeg to Regina this weekend. That would, of course, be for the Labor Day Classic. We should mention the Banjo Bowl is sold out. That's pretty cool. And, of course, we are encouraging you to get loud. We have a promo this week for things that make noise. Mm -hmm. We want you to get your noisemakers ready for the banjo bowl. And we're going to have some stuff to give away for that. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, 204-780-6868 regarding the highway driving, slowing down to 80 in the hundreds. We want to hear your thoughts and your texts at 204-780-6868. Your forecast is coming up next. Well, Brett, I have a sense that uh, maybe you're going to have to focus on the text messages we didn't get to yesterday so I can focus on the ones we're getting right now. This topic uh, will not die. Uh, we're always, or not always, sometimes hesitant to revisit something that we've uh, spoken about the day before. We don't want to give you fatigue on certain uh, topics, but well, the, the responses are undeniable. You, you, you've got an opinion on this, and it's not just one opinion. It's a, a varying uh, degree of uh, commitment either to build these interchanges or to increase enforcement or some combination thereof, and, and so we want to uh, talk about this as long as we can. Uh, Alan says, hi, gentlemen, two-year study. Can you say cash grab? Time to wake up City of Winnipeg Council. Alan, I'd love to put this on the City of Winnipeg, but uh, on the perimeter highway, that is a provincial road, so that's a provincial responsibility. It's the province that's pus- pushing pause on those projects and uh, trying to, quote-unquote, figure out how to do it. Jim is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Jim, what would you like to say? Well, uh, my hometown is uh, north of Nipua, and I left there in 1964. So I have been through that intersection of the Yellowhead and Number One at least 400 times, at least. Okay. And I've always, always been cautious mm-hmm. because you see some crazy things happen, and it's been proven in the last couple of weeks. And we had just gone through, we had to go out to my hometown on the 17th of August to a funeral and uh, went out and back the same day. And uh, it, it, that that crash that killed those three people from Carberry really bothers me. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's hard to stomach, it's hard to fathom. And, you know, I understand... Uh, that infrastructure costs a ton of money, but Jim, this is a project that's been on the books. It's been proposed for close to 20 years now. Well, uh, 
53 years ago, I left my hometown, and they were talking about it then. Well, how about that? Are you kidding, yeah. Jim? Seriously, it goes back that far? I left Cal, uh, my hometown, Calwood. Okay, there you go. Yeah. 53 years ago. And that was something that was in discussion oh, at that sure. point. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And nothing's been done. And it's the same with the the, uh, the red lights on the perimeter and Lajemodier. Like, it's a joke. Thanks, An Jim. Absolute joke. All right, Jim. Thank I, you. I was stopped uh, two years ago at Headmaster in Lajemodier. Stopped at the red light. Beautiful day like today. Kawam from behind. And I have back problems, and I really have back problems now. Oh, boy. What did I get? 40 chiropractic treatments. So, yeah, no, uh, Manitoba's a great province, but l- let's try to get into the 20th century. All right, Jim, thank you for here, the call. We'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Got a text message here. Another one in the photo radar. This is from yesterday. Why not put up the photo radar at these intersections, and then when they get enough money generated from there, they can build the overpass. Uh, but make sure that money from that camera goes to that particular fund if it might work, uh, but then the government doesn't budget very well. So. Yeah, no, it's true. And I was trying to do the math on that, uh, g- using that Regina Bypass project as a little bit of a barometer. I figure it'd be about at $3 billion uh, minimum to build the bypass around uh, Headingley and to uh, build all the interchanges that really that you need across the province of Manitoba. That would be minimum $3 billion. That's that's about uh, $3,000 worth of, of tickets for all of us over the lifespan of building those projects. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you know, that's not going to quite cover it, but I understand uh, the premise there. I'm getting a little bit of heat for calling the interchange at 59 in the perimeter, uh, on the south perimeter, an interchange. <laughs> That's a half an interchange, GMAC. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of a joke is what uh, folks are saying. And and yeah, I can see that. I don't use that one very often. Uh, it's not as much of a joke as the one on 59 in the north perimeter was before they started uh, rebuilding it. Uh, but yeah, I can see the one on 59 uh, is uh, only half an interchange and something that uh, needs to be uh, rectified without doubt. Another text here says, I don't think speed is the issue as it pertains to people blowing through intersections at 100 or above 100 when they should be slowing down to 80. This texter says, I don't think speed is the issue. Most of the accidents are going through a red light, rear-ending someone, falling asleep at the wheel, etc. And uh, we we just heard of the, the crash in, uh, that happened at Highway 1 and 16 where Semi went through the red light and collided with that car. So that's, uh, yeah, running the red lights, that's uh, obviously a serious problem. Yeah, and you eliminate the, the intersections are where, you know, crashes happen more often than on the straightaways. Uh, long uh, text message here. I'm going, it looks as though the uh, the vocabulary and everything, it, it, it uh, typed out pretty clean. So I'm going to try and read this, uh, Brett. Brett and Greg, good afternoon. My comment for the highway driving is just today. On number six, between Ericsdale and Lundar, one car passed me at at least a buck thirty. There was one vehicle behind me doing 100 kilometers per hour, as was I. The one behind him passed, got behind me with plenty of time to pass. Now, near 
uh, Deerhorn is a small creek with a double solid line, and he starts passing right where it goes for no passing. Wow, was my thought, and all I could do is shake my head. That was blatant ignorance. Just use common sense. Thanks, Gary, north of the peg. And uh, Jack, our loyal listener, complains about six all the time. I took my boys up to uh, St. Laurent to see my brother on Saturday and got passed on double lines three times between our trip on the way out there and on the way back. And I had to move over uh, to half on to the shoulder because of someone coming northbound on six on our way home. That was just like, it's like, uh, it's like, you can't see me. Because I know I've got my headlights on. I always make sure that I have my headlights on. I have the automatic ones, but I double check to make sure that they're on. And um, even me going to that extra step of making sure you can see me, people don't care. They're concerned about that extra four minutes getting up to the lake. Got a text uh, yesterday from Micah, I believe. Is it either Micah or Mika? I'm going to go with Micah. Uh, Micah says, I agree with the radar at lights where it is reduced to 80. I always slow down to 80. I had someone come up right on my tail, honking and then passing right in the intersection. It was not safe to do so, and he just missed the oncoming car. Um, getting a contrary opinion on the intersection of Highway 1 and 16. Uh, I've had a campsite up eight, six, uh, Highway 16 for years. Nothing wrong with that intersection. Pay attention, people. And it's also got the added advantage of having uh, a main rail line crossing about 200 metres north of the Trans-Canada Highway. So that's another uh, reason for having an interchange there. Oh, geez, yeah. we got to pause the conversation for a moment. I have to go read a newscast, but the conversation will continue after Global News at 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. just want to, Jeff Fortier tells me that we got a couple of calls while I was reading the newscast uh, that I mispronounced something, and I want to thank you for pointing that out. This is regarding the Phoenix Pay problems right. that the federal government has been dealing with, where I said Miramichi, New Brunswick, and I've been told it's Miramichi. So I plead ignorance to that, and I thank you for guiding my path into the promised land of pronunciation. Well, you know, that just proves that our listeners, they buy in, right? They trust us to, to say things uh, properly and to pronounce them uh, properly. I'm surprised I don't get about 10 calls a, a day on stuff. You, you know, that's uh, the first one that I can think of attached to your name in a very long time, oh, Brett McGarry. So they won't be the last. Miramichi, uh, New Brunswick. Hey, um, I mentioned earlier and I asked you about uh, the smoke outside, if you'd noticed it. And if you've noticed the smoke, it's not likely from British Columbia. Mm-hmm. It's actually from northern Manitoba. Three Manitoba First Nations communities in the Island Lakes area are being evacuated as wildfires and smoke grow closer. About 2,000 people from Wasagamac First Nation were moved by boat to St. Teresa Point First Nation Tuesday night, and the Red Cross is now trying to move community members to hotels throughout the province. Another 1,700 from St. Teresa and Garden Hill are also being flown out. Planes have been sourced from across the country to get people out as quickly as possible. Five planes are already in the air and set to land in Brandon, Manitoba this afternoon. Jason Small is with Canadian Red Cross uh, Manitoba. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Jason, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I understand you folks uh, provided an update uh, over the noon hour. What can you tell us? Um, well, I can uh, tell you at uh, this point, uh, we've, we're continuing the evacuation of uh, people from Wasagamac and St. Teresa Point from St. Teresa Point, and we're also evacuating people from 
uh, Garden Hill First Nation. At this point, we now have more than 300 people who have landed safely in either Brandon or Winnipeg and are be ta being taken to hotels, and we have more planes coming, and we plan to have a lot more planes throughout the day and into the evening coming out of the communities and heading uh, down to Brandon and Winnipeg. So obviously it's difficult to know how long these situations are going to last, Jason. Is that part of the challenge of delivering these emergency-type services? Exactly. We we don't know how long, firstly, how long it's going to take to, to get everybody out because this is a big evacuation and the largest planes we have are moving about 45 to 50 people at a time. So it, it is going to take some time. So we don't know how long that's going to take. And then as far as how long the whole thing takes and before everybody can go home, that's going to be up to uh, the weather and up to the fires. So my understanding is that this didn't really become a threat or at least wasn't considered a threat until yesterday afternoon. So how quickly do you, does your organization have to spring into action once it's determined we got to go? Uh, we got to go on a dime and we're, we're trained for that. We have a team that is prepared that immediately when we get a call that a first nation may need us or does need us right away, then we spring into action we already have plans. We have agreements with hotels and, and restaurants and airlines and bus companies. So we're already prepared in that end. And then we just start move, you know, start activating those relationships and start uh, getting prepared. And then as soon as we're ready to, as soon as the, the community's ready to go, then we start moving as fast as we can. When we start talking about 3,700 people, and uh, I like to do the old multiplier of 10 to compare things to what's going on in the United States, that's, you know, in my mind, the equivalent of moving 37,000 people uh, in the United States or a major metropolitan area like Houston, that is about six and a half million people, not quite 10 times bigger than Winnipeg, but that sure puts those numbers into some perspective. Uh, yeah, I truthfully haven't thought of it that way, but uh, yeah, it's, it is, you know, yes, we're we're smaller than Houston, smaller than the United States, but 3,700 people is still a lot, and it's uh, it's a lot of people who are impacted, but uh, we're going to keep working to make sure that they, they get the support they need and get to where they need uh, during this time. Jason Small, thank you for this. We appreciate you uh, giving us an update. And if folks want to help out uh, either with the Houston situation or uh, with what's happening here in Manitoba, are you looking for donations? Are you looking for support from the public? Uh, as far as this response with uh, Wasagamack and Tanae Theresa Point and Garden Hill, this is uh, funded by the federal government. So at this time, we don't need any support. We just, uh, I guess the biggest thing was just need people to, uh, hope for the best for the community and, and think of the community. But at this time, whatever they need is, is covered. However, for uh, Hurricane Harvey response in, in Texas, um, yes, we are uh, providing support to the American Red Cross and we are taking donations. And anybody can make a donation by going to redcross.ca or by calling 1-800-418-1111. All right, Jason Small, Canadian Red Cross, Manitoba, thank you so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB to give us an update. Now, I, I've never been a farmer, and uh, acres, I can kind of imagine, I always had a hard time with the uh, conversation about how many sections and a quarter section, and when they start talking about hectares... I have no idea. So this fire right now is covering 77,000 hectares, which is 297 square miles. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I had the same problem, and I think I tried to... <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, I, I don't mean to be laughing after it's just doing an immediately serious topic, but I remember trying to, I tried to simplify it and I made it worse on the air. I tried to compare it to like the size of two football fields or I don't know. I can't remember exactly what I said, but people were texting and saying, no, that's wrong. <laughs> it's this. And, uh, and I just Googled how big is a hectare? And uh, it says a perfect square is 100 meters by 100 meters is a hectare. So uh, one hectare contains 2.47 acres, if that helps. That helps for some people. Yeah, it doesn't really help for me. Square miles the... works for me. You know, I always imagine Winnipeg as about uh, 900 square kilometers. And, uh, you know, anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a big area and uh, 77,000 hectares and 3,700 evacuees so far. So uh, keep those uh, folks in your prayers and in your thoughts. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on what's happening in northern Manitoba. Uh, it is 314 on 680 CJOB. We are going to have a look at traffic as well as weather. Up next, see this text message we just got here? Uh, I've got I've got my text messages on one that I don't want to lose. Okay. So no, I did not. Just got a picture at uh, somebody sent us a picture at 204-780-6868 of a fire that appears to be happening downtown. Now from this particular van- vantage point, looks like the old uh, hydro building. Um, I'm just trying to tell what street this is on from this perspective. This looks like Hargrave to me. So facing south uh, bound, yeah, there's the church on the right. So I think that's what that is. Like uh, uh, the old Centra Gas? Was Centra Gas? Uh, yeah. They had that logo on there. Is that on, on St. Mary's Avenue, 414 or something I want to say? Yeah, I think it might be on St. Mary. So it looks like fire crews have just arrived in that area. So watch out for that. Uh, there's clearly something happening downtown you can see it out the window here jeff oh yeah i can see it uh going over trees here uh it's quite far away so i'm not quite sure exactly where it is yeah we know we know uh where it is it's just uh you know here at polo park we could see it uh yesterday we had the the car fire in the parking lot at polo park apparently it's a trailer on fire another person has just texted to say it's a trailer okay good fire not a building yeah. building fires not good but that the, the fact that the clouds extend way up beyond the the buildings this must be quite an inferno so if you have any pictures that you want to send of this please send them to 204-780-6868 we would very much appreciate that the black the thick black smoke from a vehicle fire is uh very uh misleading to a certain extent two days in a row i was witness to a vehicle fire really? yesterday and then uh, coming home from the blue bomber golf tournament just east of deacon's corner i saw this thick black smoke so i followed my news nose <laughs> out there to find a van in a farmer's field that was uh like engulfed in flames and uh, I sent the pictures to uh, Clay Young here in the newsroom, knowing that people would be calling, wanting to know what was happening in the east part of the city or just outside of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, a, a vehicle on fire, the smoke uh, easily for you could see it for four or five kilometers and the smoke was drifting two, three, four kilometers away. Thick black smoke. So we appreciate the tip for that. Thank you very much. 204-780-6868 if you have any pictures that you want to text us of that situation happening downtown. In the meantime, we'll just very quickly do this. We have two tickets to give away for WSO, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra, Arrival from Sweden, the music of ABBA. We are really happy to be here. 
Of course, we remember this one. This show is happening September 22nd to the 24th at the Centennial Concert Hall for this amazing tribute band, this world-renowned tribute band, coupled with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra at the Centennial Concert Hall, which is one of the best venues in the city, if in anywhere, really, to watch a performance like this. It's going to be spectacular. This question should be an easy one for ABBA fans. I'm hoping to get an instant reaction from ABBA fans. Want to know, what are their names? What do the A, B, B, and A and ABBA stand for? Jeff Forche will not ask you the question. If you don't know the answer, don't call. Somebody already hung up. (laughs) (laughs) 204-780-6868. A-B-B-A, ABBA. What does it stand for? And still to come this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry, we're going to check sports. Actually coming up in a little over two minutes, but we'll have a quick look at your forecast. Before we do that, it's all up next. 338. What's the situation with that uh, fire downtown, Brett? So we just heard that uh, we heard Matt Abra talking about how that they have closed area or some traffic in the area. Michaela, for example, said that uh, they had blocked off York due to Hargrave. And I would imagine there are some other closures as well. Michaela does say that it looks like it's out. One of the construction trailers that was just cleaning up a project there that they were doing on a building in the area had caught fire. So fire crews are at the scene dealing with that situation. We've been talking about uh, intersections on our highways uh, two days in a row because we just simply could not filter through and out all the incredible uh, text messages yesterday. So we revisited it, uh, the topic today, kind of with the idea of just re- reading or actually reading text messages we didn't get to yesterday. And of course, that has created a gigantic influx of new text messages on the topic of whether or not we uh, obey the 80 kilometer an hour zone at these archaic intersections in the first place. Uh, I think the consensus seems to be no, we do not. Yes, it is dangerous. And a lot of people saying either we need to enforce this better, uh, build interchanges or some combination of both. And another thing that you don't like, uh, we were talking about all the stoplights on the south perimeter. Not only are the lights on the south perimeter crazy, but what about the fact of having to wait for a train to pass on the perimeter? And that is, of course, the crossing just north of Highway 15 or Dewgold Road on the east perimeter. And uh, yeah, sometimes the trains actually park in that particular part of the perimeter because they're heading, I think, to Symington Yard. And uh, the trains are just getting longer and longer and longer. Yeah, and I remember we there was a situation. I can't remember. It, I think it was last year sometime. It was in the fall, I believe. And uh, yes, I'm just looking at a report here from Tamara Forlansky, in fact, from Global News. Train derailment ties up trans- or traffic in Transcona. And uh, train hauling what appeared to be grain jumped the tracks. So you could see... Uh, it looked like at least four rail cars tipped onto their sides at the perimeter and uh, just by Dougald and then as well at, the, at Ravenhurst Road. And that took for they, there's nowhere for the traffic to go. If you were stuck in there, you were stuck in there until right. they came out and cleaned it up. So that's if you're going to have a major 
you're going to call it a highway. Yes. You would imagine that you wouldn't have to stop for a train. Yeah. Uh, lots of text messages. Hi, guys. My wife and I live in Gladstone. Uh, my wife works in Portage, so she travels the 1 in 16 intersection all the time. It is terrible. The biggest problem being truckers ignoring the flashing amber warning lights, not slowing down and running the red. When the light turns green, you do not proceed until you look both ways. Your life depends on that. Uh, let's see here if we can find some more texts. Uh, this one, well, this is a little off topic. Just came home, almost in a head-on collision on my street. Elderly man looking at his cell phone, maybe texting. He came over into my side, just swerved over before I was about to take the curb. It's not just young people at fault on their cell phones. We actually have a text from a listener that says, uh, guys, waiting, waiting there now. I suspect that's on the perimeter <laughs> for a train as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> oh, How about man. that? Sorry to hear that. Our condolences. Uh, well, another note just on the downtown traffic situation. Uh, Donald also shut down at York right now. Well, fire crews clean up that trailer fire. Uh, Bill says, hey, Bill from Minnedosa here. Listening to your program, could you let people know that especially this time of year when they pull into a harvested field, the catalytic, conver- or catalytic pardon me, converter is very, very hot and can occasionally start a fire under the vehicle. Maybe that's what you saw. I was referencing uh, the two different vehicle fires on successive days and one in the Polo Park parking lot just by Earl's here off of Portage Avenue. I spoke to the driver of the vehicle off the record. He wouldn't come on the air. And uh, all he told me was that he had smoke coming out of the vents. He was in the median lane and went across four lanes of traffic because this is how considerate this guy was. He didn't think of the, that his car was on fire. <laughs> so, he, you know, he didn't take it the next step. But he, he said, you know, I didn't want to back up traffic on Portage Avenue in traffic and rush hour. Yeah. So he went into the Polo Park uh, uh, parking lot and then quickly realized that his vehicle was on fire and it burnt to the ground. Wow. Basically not anything uh, left other than a kind of a molten steel hulk of what used to be a Ford Explorer, I think. Wow. Yeah. And that, that smoke super visible. Got a text message. The smoke from downtown was visible out by the West Perimeter. So as big of a city as Winnipeg is, when that smoke gets aloft, you can see it from an awful long way away. Here's another text that's interesting. A lot of people complain about the cost of upgrading the perimeter to interstate standards. I agree that it is expensive. Years ago, we were having the same conversation about Duff's Ditch, and at $66 million, that was a lot of money back then. Look at the benefits we got out of that $66 million. Let's upgrade that perimeter in 40 years. It won't seem that expensive. I really liked that text message as well. Uh, on the other side of that coin, it's too bad. We have to try and build different overpasses or bypasses, etc., because of people's stupidity when it comes to driving imprudently. Maybe people should start concentrating on driving. And you know what? The, there, there is some merit to that point, uh, Texter. Uh, but, you know, driving through St. Norbert at 50 kilometers an hour after you've driven all the way from Minneapolis... Uh, stopping only for the border. And then, of course, uh, traffic signals in Morris. And I think those are the only ones on 75. Uh, yet you, you get a rude awakening when you come into Winnipeg. And it's like, uh, welcome to St. Norbert. Yep. Yeah. No. No. Bypass, please. And somebody even mentioned, uh, imagine missing the, the bypass. if you're. I think it was if you're coming in from the west 
Uh, imagine missing the turnoff to go onto the perimeter and then having to go take the the Trans Canada like through the city, Portage Avenue, yeah. Broadway, St. Mary's Road, Fermore. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't take you long at all. No big deal. <laughs> Three forty-five on six eighty CJOB. We're gonna have a look at traffic. We'll have a look at weather, and we'll hear from Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. But before all of that, before I forget to do it, congratulations to Cheryl Manadier who was able to get through the line to 204-780-6868 and correctly answer our question for today regarding ABBA. We wanted to know what are their names? What do the A, B, B, and A stand for? The answers were Agneta. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I looked it up earlier and, of course, I've forgotten. But I think it's Agneta and Bjorn. It's uh, spelled A-G-N-E-T-H-A. So it looks like Agnetha, but uh, I believe in Swedish it's Agneta and Bjorn, as well as Benny and Anna Frid. So congratulations to Cheryl Menadje. You are going to see WSO, Arrival from Sweden, The Music of ABBA, happening September 22nd to the 24th at the Centennial Concert Hall. Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra with the world's greatest tribute band, ABBA. That should be a spectacular night. Have a look at your forecast and traffic up next. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham joining us in studio now to set up the news. And uh, Julie, one of my revelations on my vacation was that I need to be nicer to you. Oh, so who said to, that? <laughs> who said that? Yeah. Uh, everybody oh. I bumped into okay. on my vacation. Really? You need to be nicer to Julie. Jeff, Jeff mm-hmm. can you get the countdown clock going? Start it now. <laughs> and we'll start it now until it expires. Yeah. That's so part of the thing, though. Wow. Well, he is nice to me. Everyone relax. We're friends. Yeah, we all like each other to a certain extent. Yeah, the, the line is thin at times, but we, we do we do manage the hey, line. We didn't even get three minutes. You're already taking and shots. I got into an argument you know this, this afternoon. This actually feels better already. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got into an argument this afternoon. She looks at me and she goes, "Well, I haven't had lunch yet." As she's eating cheesies. I don't know. We, we had and an argument. I missed that. See. <laughs> And then I'm saying, well, what do you want me to get? I can't read your mind. I'm going next door to Polo. She says, well, I don't know what I want. And I'm thinking. That's an honest answer. Yeah. So well, I you finally got you that. You your lunch for you now? Well, I said, I don't really know what's over there. I got I her the go... chicken wrap thing and she loved it. Was it good? Oh, yeah. 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 From, from cultures or whatever? Yeah. 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 yeah, they know us there. I said, I don't know what's over there. I never go. It's, it's a long walk for little legs, so I don't often go. So for dessert folks, and you should stick around. Yes. We have Getty Stewart coming in. Uh, love Getty Stewart. Well, you're going to really love fruit her. Fruit share. Yes. Well, we're going to talk fruit share, and she's bringing pie. What kind of pie? Apple. Stay with... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm in trouble with him. Thanks, Julie. You know I was going to force win. it out of you Can't anyway. Apple losing. pie. Mm. Okay. So well, what's going on? What uh, 4.17. You'll still be here. Yay! Yeah. We'll save you a big piece. 419, he'll be gone. Reed Feist of Global National is in Houston. He'll join us live as part of our Live at Five package. We've been talking all day, and I know about the $800 million that Scotiabank is spending on uh, the arena there that is currently Air Canada Place. Uh, What do we do in Winnipeg as far as how much money does the city of Winnipeg accrue in its sponsorship rights? I would venture to say it's somewhere between... $800, but nowhere near $800 million. We're going to ask them exactly what you can put your company's name on or your own personal name, what the rules are. There is a list. So we'll uh, tell you a little bit about that. Maybe, Maybe we'll have like the CJOB bridge. 
Is I that possible? It. I mm. doubt it. We'll find out. <laughs> okay, I like that. Owner naming rights. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about we that. We need we'll, to talk. We'll also talk about naming rights with a marketing professor from McMaster University, the ethics behind it. I remember doing a story once about some folks trying to sell the naming rights to their kid. <laughs> I remember that. Yes. I was thinking... <laughs> Okay, it's one way to pay for the Pampers. Well, well to put this uh, this uh, Scotia Bank Arena thing into perspective, eight hundred million over twenty years—that's twice as big as uh, I think Oracle Arena, or the yeah. the new arena for the Warriors. There. I mean, that's big, yeah. but this is like twice as well, much. Well, and this is Scotia Bank really trying to corner uh, the hockey market in this country, and I would. I reckon that there was another bank in for the rights for ACC. And uh, they were able to say to Scotia folks, you know what? You better scoop this up. But $800 million over 20 years, that's but do you a whole have a, lot of dollars. Do you have a problem with a, with a company or a corporation, for example, if they, had the, if they had the bucks to pay for, I don't know, a quarter of the, the Arlington Bridge or half of the Arlington Bridge? Do you got a problem calling it the, the something bridge we'll instead? It, could Are be the Canadian me? Pacific Bridge for all I care. Yeah, That's great. Put it in neon. You can shoot it up in the sky like yeah. the bat signal. I don't care. But if you're a Scotiabank shareholder, how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, they think they think there's return, right, on this. So uh, we'll be uh, anxiously awaiting your conversation on this. Thanks, My folks. My bank fees better not go up. <laughs> you're Actually, they're going up, they're going up as you speak. What are you talking about? Let's tell the truth. You're anxiously awaiting the arrival of our pie. Yes, that's true. Richard Kluge and Julie Buckingham, thank you very much. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. I'll just uh, very quick thought as well as far as Scotiabank naming rights are concerned. The theater next door, mm-hmm. the movie theater, is now a Scotiabank theater. I just, I still call it Cine- Silver City Polo Park, but whatever. They, they, they want to pay for the naming rights uh, that they put out onto the website. Fine. I just call it the movie theater at Polo Park. Yeah, that scene it card has uh, changed uh, mu- movie viewing habits and purchasing power for a lot of people, right? For sure. And also, a listener has just reminded us, thank you for the reminder. We'd mentioned this very briefly yesterday, should mention it again. Rick Springfield concert tonight, Burton Cummings Theater, canceled due to medical reasons. He had to get surgery on a t- torn tendon in his arm, and his recovery isn't quite ready to go. He'll be back on the road on Friday in Vancouver. Just a quick one on the Scotia Bank naming rights, Brett. If they can afford to do that, they can afford to pay me 10% interest on my savings. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. <laughs> That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Greg, Jeff Forte, and Master Control. Thank you, sir. Richard Kluche, Julie Buckingham have the news from 4 until 7. Charles Adler tonight at 9 o'clock on 680 CJOB.